0: Okay, we are going to talk about Zacchaeus. One of the things we've I've mentioned before we're looking at as a church is just, uh, you know, the, is how do we make ourselves as accessible and as understandable and as friendly as possible to those who've never encountered God or those who have been part of church and really go, I don't want to be back there. Um, there is a reason for church, I still believe, that despite all its dysfunction and that all its bad experiences, there's no real alternative. Uh, that actually the community that gets together called the church is still able to do what individuals can't do on their own. Uh, that together we are able to uh, learn about God, we are learn, able to actually learn about ourselves. I mean, it's really easy to be part of your own group, which is just you. And talk about how much God loves you and how wonderful you are. That begins to diminish as soon as you meet somebody else. And then you meet a few more people and you get irritated by them because they do things you don't like. They don't turn up. And then they say things that offend you. And things rise up in you, you might have noticed. And suddenly this perfect image of your meek and mild forgiveness and everything else is not quite as clear to you because there are other things going on. And, and that's part of what God does in us. He shows us in the context of other people and circumstances just who we are. And often when we t- discover who we are, we are not that cool about it. Or we deny it and blame everybody else. We're actually cool. It's everybody else's fault. Uh, that's called denial and you can get help for that. But we're a mixed bag, and so we need one another. We need one another. You need, we need one another to reveal the things that God still needs to work out in us. And the, the the trick is not to get discouraged and not to get broken by that. And so one of the things that happens often in in people with either a distant understanding of Christianity or an experience of strident Christians is usually they encounter rules, regulations, and condemnation. And so it's all about uh, God is, is angry with me. I'm people say things like I'm not I'm not I'm not spiritual. I'm not holy enough. I don't know what that means. But who do you think is? You know, it's not about how holy you are. it's But if God is real, uh, He is the one in whom we ultimately will find fulfillment. And um, that can seem strange too. But We want to be a church that uh, provides opportunity for people to look at themselves and be encouraged, accepted where they are as they journey to where maybe they can be. Because we're all on a journey. That's why our tagline is on a journey of a lifetime. But we've also reframing our vision and mission statements, which I'm talking about over these weeks. The vision is uh, restoration. It's very simple. You can remember that. Restoration. Restoration. I hate it when people do this saying, look at the person next to you and say, do you need some restoring or what? I mean, everybody here needs restoration. And and so our umbrella is about restoration. It's about actually finding where, you know, we've all wandered off. We've all gone, we've got distortions. We all have um, distorted images about ourselves, about other people, about God. And we need to you know, allow time and space to, to say, where am I distorted and where am I not? Many people live, live uh, lives that are lies. They believe lies about God. They believe lies about themselves. They believe lies about other people. And those lies seem to be true. But how do you know the truth that God actually likes you and he loves you and he means it? I mean, he likes you before you clean your act up. What would it be like to be part of a community where you're accepted before you clean your actor? So underneath that story of that umbrella of restoration, we have three phrases about our mission, and that the first one is becoming a family. I'm going to talk about that next week. But essentially, it's about you know what families are like. You've got the black sheep, and then you've got all the other colours. But they're your family. Blood runs thicker than water, they say. So. You know, whoever your family is, you're stuck with them. And there's something about that that seems to cause us to go the extra mile most of the time. So we have becoming a family. The second uh, mission statement is encountering God, which means there's nothing that we can give each other that replaces Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can actually restore He's the only one who can heal. He's the only one who can take a broken heart and make it whole. He's the only one who can take cynicism and sarcasm and defensiveness and actually transform it into something that's life-giving. I'm a testimony to that. Some of you keep quiet right now. You've got as much work to do as I have, so shut up. Um, and the final one is impacting the world, which is actually going out and sharing. So we're not this incestuous little group that all they do is ask God to bless them. Let's have some more gifts, Lord, so we can play with it. We're in danger of getting there if we're not careful. So it's how do we impact the world, which is going out. And I think all of these are actually wrapped up in the story of Jesus when he, he walks through Jericho, aptly enough, and he meets this guy called Zacchaeus. So he's in Luke 19. Last week I showed you a, a few clips from uh, a trip to England where this artist guy whose pictures are at the back there, Charlie Mackesy, was speaking as a, as a kind of bit of a rogue Chris, Christian, very unconventional, um, very much not tolerant of institutions. So he's a man after my own heart. And he spoke about how he spent time with friends. One was... Um, you know, they were very much distant. They didn't know anything about God and how, in their conversations, just talking ordinarily. I mean, he he spoke about his gay neighbor who said God would never receive me because I'm not, I don't, I do wrong things. And Charlie's response was, "Well, so do I," which is really re- refreshing. Because so often we as Christians we might take out our Bible and because we're so insecure, we start throwing verses at people. Because we think verses are going to change their lives. And verses can be really irritating. You see, the verses aren't convicting if the way that you speak them is judgmental. And you can quote the whole scripture, but you'll just sound like a parrot. Because you haven't taken time to actually hear the person. So Charlie's response was, what do you mean you do wrong things? So do I. Now that's a very cool way to reach somebody. Actually, just admit to your own stuff. Because by the way, it's visible. Our incompleteness is visible, so stop pretending it's not. I can tell you. We can test it if you like. If anybody thinks they are perfect, come up and we'll help you. (laughs) Probably name a few things just after one sentence is spoken. And then you'll go away feeling crushed. But you'd only go away feeling crushed if you actually thought you were perfect. If you didn't, you'd just go, yeah, that's me. Work in progress. Work in progress doesn't justify carrying on doing whatever. It's just the reality of our journey. And so Charlie made this comment and he just said, uh, you know, what is the mould that you don't fit in? Because the only mould that comes to God is the human mould. And I loved that. You're just a human being and that's the that's the one I'm talking to. Not what that human being has become. Not where that human being has got stuck or, or got become into something else. And I'm not even going to try and persuade you to come out of it. Because I think if actually you find the love of God rising up in you, he will actually work it out for you. We are so tied to behaviors and conditions. And if you don't do this, then God can't do that. And God says, when you were lost, I came to find you. That means when you're in the middle of your nonsense, when you're in the middle of the things that you are trying to do for your coping behavior, God actually loves you there. That's why restoration is you got there and most of us know where we've got and we don't know how to get out of it. We don't need people to tell us what's wrong with us. We do need opportunities to begin to face our stuff where we're not condemned. I don't know about you, but many of us and Christians are very good at condemning or justify. You know the story. I don't need to tell you. And then, so you've got that part. And then the other part that's happening in the Christian church right now is this obsession with self. And what that means is, I'm going to the next conference so I can have a lovely worship experience. And I've just found another worship song because I need a new worship song every second day. Otherwise, my faith doesn't come alive. And then I've got to go to this conference because I want to hear some more teaching on the prophetic because I've only had five years of it and I need some more. And I'm being sarcastic. But there is a point where you go, how much teaching do you need before you actually go and just give it away? How much does life have to revolve around you and your needs being met, Christian or otherwise, until you actually look out of your little box and care about somebody else? And bring them along to something. And I promise you, in, the, in bringing them along, the very thing you were asking God to do will happen. This is all in the story of Zechariah, Z- uh, Zacchaeus. So the phrase that was I wanted to repeat was that Charlie used to his friends was the message version of uh, Luke fifteen one. By this time, this is this... The verse before the prodigal son, the lost coin and the lost sheep, three areas of lostness that Jesus spoke about, but we're not doing that today. This time a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And that was the encouraging word to these guys, that a lot of people of doubtful reputation were in Jesus' presence. And so were the Pharisees and the religious scholars. But the Pharisees and the religious scholars who were in the presence of Jesus were muttering, criticizing and complaining because Jesus was talking to these people and not to them. He was talking to the people who were lost, who were broken, who were struggling, who were probably more honest and he was not talking to the religious people who were going through the scriptures and complaining. I'm not saying you don't have to look up what things are and I'm not saying truth isn't important. But ultimately... God's heart is for people. And God and Jesus can tolerate a greater degree of messiness than most of us can. I mean, birth is messy, isn't it? It's a, it's painful, messy. There's, I mean, you do... This has just occurred to me, but if all of you women stood up and given birth, um, if you can do that, you can worship God and look like a fool. Because you go, ah, ah, ah. I mean, you know, I me down (laughs) (laughs) i've been at some births it's messy it's noisy and it's not very flattering i'm joking but you know what it's you know so we're capable and there's an element of god is wanting to release passion and 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 release us from sometimes what we get stuck in yep all right so you know, the clue to restoration may be rest. That wherever there is no rest in us, something's got gone wrong. The things of God are not difficult. The things of God's spirit are not difficult. You don't have to be highly educated. You don't have to have a degree in anything to know the presence and power of God. If you want to really begin to follow God and Jesus and you want to measure it, just listen to the rest that is in you. That's called peace. Wherever there isn't peace, you start saying... You you might say things like, I never hear God. Absolutely, you're hearing God right now. Listen to what comes up in you. Listen to your responses. I mean, the good news is God can use me. And if he can use me, he can use you. And he can use me to trigger things in you, good, bad, and ugly. Take no responsibility for any of it. But he can use my words in whatever capacity, unbeknownst to me a lot of the time, to trigger things in you. It could be anger, it could be irritation, it could be blessing. If you want to hear God, begin to start owning what you have going on inside you and say, What are you saying to me? Where is your rest? And where is your unrest? Your unrest will give you clues as to your anxieties, your lack of faith, your struggles. Pay attention to them. Start talking to God and others about them. You might have unrest about your finances or your future or your marriage or your your just being. And God says, I actually have come to help you with that. I can bring you peace. I can actually give you security so that money doesn't become this big issue for you. I can set you free from the bondage of that. I can enable you to live in, in times of extraordinary risk and unresolvedness. Because you know that I actually love you as a father loves a child and therefore I have your... And you go, oh, don't, be so, don't be so childish. I mean, come on. That's not the real world. Well, it might be. See, the real world might be heaven and earth combined. Not orphans wandering the earth hoping that God helps them when they're dead. Jesus came to release life on earth as in heaven. We have become so cynical and so facetious and so faithless that we think God will give us the strength to survive in our own strength and then when we die we get to heaven. And God's revelation to us is no, heaven begins on earth. When Jesus said, you know, learn the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. He didn't mean what I did as a schoolboy, recite that every day without knowing what it meant. He said, what would it be like for you to live in such a security and such a sense of God's assurance on you that you know peace even when there's a storm all around? That would be impressive, wouldn't it? That would be helpful. Why aren't you getting crazy? Look what's going on around you. I take a day at a time. I trust God and I do what I can. And I have a community of friends who I share with. What do you do? Oh, I worry. worry. Yep. because I know what's going on. I understand the circumstance. I worry. I mean, this could happen and that could happen. And you could go down there and this could happen. Go, oh, really? How's that working for you? Well, I have to take Valium as well. <laughs> oh. I'm tired a lot. Why? Because I'm over medicated I'm, No, no. I'm, I, I'm just... Stop medicating what God can actually release in you. There, there is place for medication. I just want to provoke you a bit. But stop medicating what God wants to do in you. Just let him release peace in you, which just means humility to say help. He's much more powerful. So, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was very, very unpopular. The Romans ruled over Israel. They'd been ruling forever. I mean, most if we were being ruled by the Romans, we wouldn't remember when they weren't being ruled by Romans. The Romans were the ones in charge. They were the ceiling. You couldn't do anything unless you were eating out of the Roman hand. The Romans were oppressors. They were cruel. They were unfair. They flaunted their authority. It wasn't fun to live under the Romans. If I was Jesus going into the world, maybe I'd say, let's go to Canada in 2000. You know, Rome, 2000 years ago, forget it. But he might have said, you know, it'll be easier to do something under the Romans than under the Canadians. Because the Canadians won't get up for breakfast. So, I mean, you know... Apathy will kill you, but they wouldn't be bothered to crucify you because it's a pluralistic culture. Nobody feels strongly enough about anything. So I'm just baiting you, you know, because I'm Canadian too now, you know. Um, So the Romans were unpleasant. And then you have, when you have an oppressive group, oppressive force over you, People that are most despised are the ones who seem to sell out to them for their own skin, Say their own skin. And the tax collectors were like that. The Romans had said, uh, there's a tax over all of this. There were taxes for everything. And the tax collector was the one who basically collected the taxes. Said, sorry, uh, there's a tax for sitting on that chair. There's a tax for driving your car. I'm here to carry it. You say, what's the tax? And he says, five cents. And you have no way of knowing whether the Romans are demanding five cents for the chair tax they, have a t- they had a tax in England for the size of windows years ago. Do you know that? I went to William Wordsworth's house and there were tiny little windows in and we're told, well, that's because there was a tax on windows. Every window you had a tax on. So they small, the small windows. And so you, you don't know if, you, if, you, if you're being taxed five cents for a, for a window, you don't know whether Rome is actually demanding five cents or they're demanding three cents and you're skimming off two. The tax collectors happened all to be very wealthy. So you draw your own conclusions. Just who's getting what here? And there's no way of getting back on you because if you don't pay taxes, I just bring the Roman soldier next to me and you will pay taxes. So the tax collectors were not popular. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was head of the tax collectors in the region. So he was probably... Who knows how much skimming was going on? So he was despised. He wasn't popular. And he wasn't. you didn't want to be seen with a tax collector. Tax collectors and prostitutes were the sort of two you don't want to be seen with. And Jesus seemed to be quite fine to be seen with both. I love that. And uh, so Zacchaeus had, had come to see Jesus. Now how did Zacchaeus, why would Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? I wonder why he wanted to see Jesus. Because Jesus was creating quite a stir. Wherever Jesus went, crowds began to gather. Why? Because Jesus was doing some things that were quite remarkable. When last did our Christian life draw a crowd? When you walk in the room, they say, Oh, look who's come. God's here. How about we pray for that? Because everything Jesus did, he told, he said that we would do. And what Jesus, what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing that was different from the Pharisees and all the other people in the church, the synagogue? They gathered together, they taught, they read the scriptures, they went through their rituals. What was Jesus doing different? Jesus was doing different—the very thing that divides our churches today. Jesus was doing the very thing that was different. Some people have seen, you know, what's that the little kid who went to heaven? Heaven is for real. And what's the theme that comes out of that? A kid saying heaven is real offends half the church because they go, how can heaven be real? I thought you guys believed this. Well, we sort of do, but, you know, this is getting a little over the top. Everything that seems to be supernatural divides the church because we actually want God in a box. And then we end up in a box It's all really dead. God blew the lid off the box. And Zacchaeus just actually, if you read the, ch- the chapter before that, Jesus actually talks about going. Let me look at it quickly, so that you don't think I'm lying to you. Um, we've got trust issues. Luke 18, verse 34 is is interesting because in Luke 18, Jesus starts telling them that he's going to die. So he says. We are get, he, he took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. And the disciples all go, Oh, that's interesting. Glad I'm not you. No, what we read here is the disciples did not understand any of this, its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Isn't that encouraging? They had no clue. They didn't know that he was going to die. They didn't want to hear it because it didn't sound very nice. It wasn't very pleasant. They didn't have a clue. What's encouraging about that? God doesn't really care if you have a clue or not. He's not dependent on your understanding. In fact, most of the things that are going to be remarkable about Jesus, you will not be able to understand. You will just know that if you do this, this happens. If you pray for the sick, you might see some healing. In fact, I'd say you will see some healing. Will you understand it? No. Will you understand why you prayed for this person and something changed? You prayed for this person and nothing seemed to change. Will you understand it? No. Get over it. Where Jesus is present, people's lives get impacted. Do you understand it? No. If you never declare it, you'll never see it. The way we talk here raises faith or it crushes faith. It either raises the expectation that God is real, or it gives you no anticipation of anything real, and you just listen to a sermon, you go home, and there's nothing that changes. So we have to settle somewhere on the line, for instance, there's some things that might happen here that will offend somebody and they walk out. Well, then they walk out, have a nice walk, have a nice walk. Because some people think that, well, you mustn't say that because somebody will be offended. I agree with you, I don't want to offend anybody, but I have a knack. And a knack under Jesus is a gift. And somewhere along the line, your offense is your issue, not mine. Tell the person next to you, I think he's speaking to you now. God God is here. Somewhere along the line, what causes you offense is something for you to deal with. In fact, I would say 75% of the time. Start owning your own stuff. And start letting God speak to you from what rises up in you. And start saying, Father, I don't care if I'm offended. I want to know who you are and who I am. And get a sense of humor at the same time. And so the disciples didn't understand. So that's cool because we don't understand. Then he goes, the next passage there is about a blind beggar. What happens with the blind beggar? He's at the side of the road and he's begging. And he hears the crowd going by and he says, Jesus... Of Nazareth is passing by. He's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's all he's heard. But they've been gossiping and talking about this guy, Jesus. And what do you think they've been saying? He gives great Bible studies. No. Nice mother. No. Good carpenter. No. There was a guy who was blind and he saw again. What? And and he, he doesn't sound angry all the time like the Pharisees. And he's not asking for anything. And when he he's very accessible. When people even touch them, they get healed. It's amazing. There's power around him. There's presence around him. We've never seen anything like that. Jesus of Nazareth. So this blind guy is blind. He might never have this chance again. So he hears Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he just starts screaming. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's desperate. It's cool. And what does he shout? Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him. He had the disciples again. No clue what's going on. Shh. 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 It's what we do a lot of the time. Shh. 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 Most of what Jesus did that was remarkable was on the way to somewhere else. So interruptions actually, I think, are the way the kingdom works a lot of the time. I hate being interrupted. So I don't like that thing at all, but it kind of seems to be often that way. But I need time to prepare for a blind man. But Jesus just walks through life, and the blind man comes to him and shouts out. The disciples are going shh shh shh, like we are, in, you know, often in shh shh. And Jesus doesn't do that, does he? What does he say? Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Then the disciples, ch- oh, the boss wants to see you. All different. And Jesus says to them, and he says to the blind man, what does he say to the blind man? Because the, 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 the disciples are now all pretending they're cool, you know, no problem. We were about to bring him to you. Jesus says, what does he say? He says to the blind man, this is one of the phrases that I think is very, very teach, a, a teaching moment for how you approach people. Because we've grown up in a culture again where, you know, I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. What do you want me to pray for? Oh, just pray for peace. Why do you want peace? It's personal. I right now say, well, then I'm not praying for you. What on earth am I going to pray for? Have a nice life. Because you see, the less you want to deal with anything, the more you just ask for prayer. And prayer is a waste of time unless it's directed at something. And we often want to absolve ourselves. It's like God is a meal on wheels. I don't have to do anything, He's just going to deliver. But if you read the scriptures and Jesus' encounters, it's always relationship, it's interaction. So Jesus asks the obvious question, "Why do you want me, what do you want me to do for you? I'm blind. Lots of people who are sick, who don't want to get better. We've talked about this before. There are lots of people who have issues on disabilities or whatever. I'm not ridicule anything. I'm merely just saying, and it really suits me, pays my way. I don't have to take responsibility for myself. The nicest people, the sweetest people, need to hear the question, well, what do you want? So he says, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And he sees. Follows Jesus. I was blind, now I see. Argue with that. So they get to Jericho, and Zacchaeus has picked up the scent of something going on here that's pretty remarkable. And somebody maybe has talked to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is on the outside of society. He's not liked by people. He's not popular. And there's something in his heart that is broken. There's something in him that goes, I'm feeling like I'm blind inside. And he has no one to talk to. So he runs ahead and he sees the crowd coming. And he climbs up a tree and just says, Well, I'll just check it out. And nobody would say, Zack, That's Zach. He's my friend. That's Zach. Let's knife him in the back. That would make a better song. Be a worship song. Zach was knifed in the back. Hallelujah. He took my tax, so we stab him in the back. So it's the best I can do right now. But you know, there's a not popular. I wonder who's talked to Zacchaeus. I wonder how Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. I've told you before, but you know, I had a, a godfather who was a, a general practitioner. He was wealthy. He was a self-made man and proud of it and i visited their home when i was 22 years old as a christian you know jesus person and his wife said to me john nev will never become we will never deal with christianity unless nev does because he's the head of the house men have screwed up the world big time and this talk i mean this moment i'm talking to men because men are, are cowards they are so so dishonest they're so fearful of things they honestly a man who gets touched by jesus becomes powerful But there's so many who are lukewarm. They warm the pews of churches. They're pitiful. They come alive either with beer, which is the most idiotic thing. I mean, I like beer, but you don't have to get drunk, and you don't, you know, there's much more life than froth on the top of a beer. Or playing sport, which is just hugely powerful, you know. A puck on ice is the life of people. Let's have some beer and watch the playoffs. It can be fun, but it doesn't have to be life. That was totally weird. Put that aside. Now I've lost where I was going with Zacchaeus. I went on a diatribe. I'm talking about my my godfather, who's now with Jesus, I presume. And he he, he had a friend, a Baptist friend, so God can use Baptists, which is unusual. (laughs) I love picking at Baptists because they're so serious and they're so into the Word, you know, but they're terrified of the Spirit of God. It's funny, but anyway... They, this Baptist friend would keep going to visit Nev. Five years, I think, he used to come in. And, and Neville used to say, uh, oh, it's all psychobabble, and he just talks to me. And I sort of, I, I, I like him as a friend, but he's a bit of a over-the-top. And apparently this guy uh, had gone to visit Nev after he had been away on a holiday and come back. And I heard this firsthand. That night, uh, Nev couldn't sleep. And it was about 2 in the morning and he got up and he he just couldn't go to sleep. So he thought, well, I might as well get up. And he went to try and shave. I don't know why he would try and do that at 2 o'clock in the morning, but he did. And he couldn't finish shaving. And he found himself on his knees at the bathtub saying, Jesus is Lord. And his life was totally changed. I met him. I saw him before and after. He sent me a note and God met him. Despite his attitude, despite his arrogance, despite all that should have kicked him into the curb, his life was changed. And his wife became a Christian, his son became a Christian. And he had a revelation and he would say what a jerk he was. And he wanted to spend the rest of his life. And he did spend the rest of his life actually serving Jesus. You never know. What I'm trying to say, I want to encourage you, you never know when your conversations with people just go into them and God waters that and brings something out later. You just don't know. But what I believe God wants to impart to us today is a heart for people who are lost. A heart for people who are out there. So you read this picture of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is, uh, I've got to hurry up here. Zacchaeus is uh, up a tree. Unpopular, nobody's talking to him. Jesus notices him. Jesus doesn't come to Zacchaeus. And we hear Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. Do an action replay of Christians approaching wealthy men today. Mr. Zacchaeus, so nice to see you. wonder if you could give something to our cause. I don't want to offend you in any way. Jesus doesn't do that at all. He just looks up at Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Zacchaeus, I need to come down immediately. I need to go to your house today. There's an authority in Jesus, a confidence in Jesus, a boldness in Jesus. So we're going to pray for later, an impartation of boldness. He doesn't go, don't you, aren't you tired of rubbing your hands and being insecure? Aren't you tired of apologizing? I mean, some of us need to dial some of our attitudes down, but aren't you tired of this kind of insecurity, like I've got to apologize to you because I believe in God and you believe in Carling or something? I mean, why would I need to apologize? I can be confident, I can be bold, and I can be polite, believe it or not. I don't have to back down just because you're looking aggressively at me and saying, huh, try me. I remember praying for somebody at St. Albans years ago. This woman came up. This was when people were falling down, which will scare some of you, but that's all right. We'll probably do it again. And she looked at me like, I dare you. And I went, oh my, I don't know what's going to happen. So I said, Jesus, just bless her. And she fell down. That was funny. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know. But Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and without any cowardice or anything, so she said, why? Because he knew Zacchaeus' heart. You can pretty much know people without Jesus have got emptiness in them. They're not nearly as secure. Anger covers up hurt, covers up lostness. And whether you're a blind man in a ditch or you're a rich man in a tree, God loves you. And he cares about you and he's not impressed either by your blindness and your beggar or your riches and how you got them. It's all right, Leo, I'm nearly finished. And so <laughs> you were prophetically giving a sigh for everybody else. Oh Lord. Actually the Lord's just saying keep going till twelve thirty. I thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh <laughs> uh, no, don't worry. So Jesus, you know what happens. He calls Zacchaeus down. And he goes to his house, which is totally not allowed. Hey, I was only joking. <laughs> Teasing you. <laughs> he he was he. He calls him down and he goes to his house and he has a meal. Zacchaeus, probably not in his wildest dreams, would have imagined that this Jesus would actually come to his home. And you know, the people here among us, not in your wildest dreams, would you think that Jesus would pick you out and say, I want to come have lunch with you today. But he does. He wants to come and have lunch with you today. And it was as Jesus was having a meal with Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, you are a piece of work. You You should be ashamed of yourself. You grew up, you got some education, look what you've done with it. You've absolutely raped and pillaged your people. There are thousands of people who are impoverished by your behavior, your attitude and your greed. Look at this stuff. I'm not coming into your home. Your home is built on, on absolutely stolen goods. How can I, the Son of God, the purest man on earth, come and taint myself in your house? We're conscientious objector. Well, if Jesus was conscientious objecting, he wouldn't come into this world because there was nothing here that would not taint it. But you learn how to be in, but not of. And so Jesus comes into this place and he, he dines with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, in that moment has revelation of who he is and who God is. And he breaks. And he comes to Jesus and he says, because he sees in Jesus' life lived in another way. Jesus, how much money do you have? I have nothing. But you're free, Jesus. There's a freedom in you. There's a compassion in you. There's an openness in you. I crave. I have all this stuff but nothing. So Jesus doesn't have to say, I am actually the richest man on earth. We just work just in time. And my riches you can't see, but they are released as I need them because my Father loves me and He is totally, totally for me. And His eyes never leave me. I'm totally safe in Him. And I'm not at all threatened by you because I've actually come to reach you. Because you're so lost, you don't even know it, but you're going to know it. And so in... The cause of having a meal, Zacchaeus sees his lostness, sees the love of God and says, it wasn't just about, oh, I believe in Jesus, because he didn't really know, you know, I believe in Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross. That hadn't happened yet. He didn't have a creed. He had an encounter with the living God. He just said, you have something, I don't know. And Jesus said, and so he said, "If, if I've cheated everyone... I mean, Zacchaeus said, if I've cheated, which is a confession. He knows he's cheated everybody. If I've cheated, and then he says, I give it back twofold or fourfold or however, it is substantial. That is restoration. That is what we're after as a church. We're not after Zacchaeus coming to I am second, or Zacchaeus coming into church, worshiping on Sunday, and carrying on their life as if nothing happened. Restoration is when your lifestyle follows your relationship to Jesus and actually is cleaned up. Where your lifestyle bears witness to the revelation of who I am and who he is. That is restoration. And that is what we as a church are aiming for. In all of our lives. Not just in you and you and you. But in all of our lives. And that is an ongoing process. But to get there, we've got to be kind to get there, we've got to be patient. To get there, we've got to be generous. You don't come head first with Zacchaeus. You come heart first and see what happens. That is very cool. And so Zacchaeus' life has totally changed around and restoration takes place because God, on a finishing with this, God is like an antique dealer. You go, you, you see these, what, they, they, they go on the treasure hunts and they look for stuff and they say, oh, look what we can do with that. That's what God does with you and me. He picks you up or he picks a key or and says, what on earth happened to you? You suddenly got all greedy? You exploit people? You're actually not at all what I designed you to be. Let me restore you. And so he shakes the money out and he says, let's start again. You weren't meant to be this big piggy bank. You were meant to be actually somebody who released resources to enable all this to happen. You're a businessman for sure. But in the kingdom it will be very different. I've come to heal and restore. Let's stand. Because that's what you're called to as well. Two questions, two things we're going to pray about. One is, do you know what kind of restoration God wants to do in you? And Father, I just pray as we've spoken this morning, your spirit will settle on us and show us wherever it is we feel we've taken the wrong steps, we're in the wrong place. There are things in our lives that have gone askew we kind of too much like Zacchaeus. We've taken control. We've gone after things that haven't really brought us life. And we're kind of up a tree somewhere. It could be anything. It could be sex. It could be pornography. It could be drugs. It could be you like your own free time, your selfishness. You just like lots of selfish time. It could be self-indulgence, it could be eating, it could be laziness, it could be holidays, it could be anything under the sun, where it's just become too much. It could be fear, where you don't take risks anymore. It could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be insecurity, it could be blame and shame that you speak to yourself. It could be that you've lost hope. Anything, you could be up a tree for a thousand different reasons. And Jesus just sees you there right now, and he calls you by name. And he absolutely is thrilled to see you. And for some of you, you know, you've tried, and you keep trying, and you keep trying to do it on your own. And pride is your biggest issue. And pride is very, very, very visible. And Jesus just says, uh, calls you by name and says, come down. And that come down means, why don't you let that go? Why don't you just tell me? Oh God, I'm so full of pride. I'm so full of fear. I'm so full of addiction. I haven't a clue where to go. But if everybody knew, I'd be dead with embarrassment. And Jesus just looks at you and says, I'll keep your secret. But you need me because you're not going to get rid of this. You've tried already. And confession is about just saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for... You don't have to explain it all. You just say, help. He says, come down immediately. Come down. You see, Zacchaeus was up one tree. Jesus went onto another tree. It's called the cross. Jesus went onto a tree. Zacchaeus could be set free. And Jesus went on that tree so that you and I could also be set free. And we need to be set free multiple times because we pick things up so often. So there's no condemnation in this room right now. There's only invitation. An invitation, come down from wherever you've got stuck, whatever perch you happen to be on. Come down. And you come down by just saying, here it is, Lord. I don't even believe you, but I give it to you. That works as well. Because you see, God believes in you more than you believe in Him. So it's not a problem for Him. Come down. I want to come to your house and spend some time with you. And when I'm at your house, I just want you to know that I like you. I haven't given up on you. You don't disappoint me. I just want to introduce you to hope. And I want to introduce you to my father again. And I want to introduce you to love again. And I want you to just say, I'm here for you. Because the only reason Zacchaeus is in the Bible is so that you can be encouraged. The only reason Zacchaeus' story is in the Bible is because I want you to know that I'm for you as well. So come down. Let's go home and have lunch. And let's spend this week just talking together over meals about my love for you and where you are with me. And let me take all your condemnation and all your doubt and all the negative stuff and let me give you hope again and life again. And then for some others there's a release and impartation of boldness. Because there's some where Jesus wants to say, you know, when you walk down the street and you see somebody in a tree, I want you to have boldness, to actually be present for them without fear. And so if you want boldness, if that's you, if you're kind of tired of the fear and the insecurity and all the rest of it, Father, I just pray now that you release boldness. You release confidence. You release assurance that in our weakness, you will be strong. In our incompleteness, you're able to do more than we can imagine. It's not about perfection. It's not about understanding. It's about the Spirit of God releasing through broken people extraordinary favor. When he called Zacchaeus, he just said, come down. And he didn't take the, the, the things that Zacchaeus was making a priority. They weren't his priority. So if you want boldness and if you want assurance, then just take it. Holy Spirit, will you just release boldness now in the name of Jesus. Confidence in who you are. And if God is also saying to you, you know, it's time that you actually spread your wings. It's time that you looked out for other people. It's time that you actually took some risks. It's time that you actually let me use you further than where you are right now. Tell me and I'll release it in you. And so I speak over you, release. The release of the kingdom. Permission given for God to use you in the marketplace, for God to use you among your friends, for God to use you in all kinds of circumstances. Because the more screwed up you are, actually the more he can use you. Because he goes, my, there must be a God if he can use you. Get over yourself. He is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. So Father, I bless what you're imparting over each person here right now. I bless it in Jesus' name. I bless it. So do you understand that you are called by name, you are invited into the presence of the King, and you are released with power and boldness to be able to share Him with others who are in a predicament they don't know how to get out of. They just need somebody to say their name and invite them home. Place your hands on the people next to you and just ask God to bless them. Just bless them. The worship team, can come up and we'll finish with a song. Just bless them. Just bless them. Don't, don't speak words. Don't talk to them. Just bless. Just say, Lord, I release your kingdom. Release heaven in them. More than they can imagine. And the stubborn ones who wish I'd let them go right now, Father, give them even more in the name of Jesus. More in the name of Jesus. Let no one get away today, Lord. No one get away. No one get away. Everyone is going to be loved and, and hooked in some way. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.